Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing this week? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm glad we got uh, through April Fool's Day. Uh, I'm not. I'm never sure uh, what happens April Fool's Day, but I we, I, I made it through. My daughter has a host of pranks to pull, and my husband had to leave town. And so, are you? You know, I'll ha- I'll have to I'll have to bring him over. We'll have to do like an April fifth day or something. Okay. Well, that's good. So, let me ask you a question. Uh, do we have guests today? We do. We are thrilled to have with us. Connell Cowan, who's a psychologist, author, artist, and songwriter, and Susan Sullivan, actress and playwright with us today. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. We're delighted to be here. (laughs) So, you know, Connell uh, has so many jobs. I wonder if he's causing the unemployment rate to go up among other people in L.A. Might be onto something, Neil. So, so uh, last week uh, we discussed an article about uh, CFTs, uh, NFTs, which are non fungible tokens, and we were talking about it in the context of how crazy it was that people were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for uh, YouTube videos or self portraits, and in one outrageous case, the article of the New York Times uh, author who actually talked about the story the week before. So last night, I happened to watch a Netflix show that was about a huge art fraud in New York that uh, caused the Nodler Gallery, which was a 250-year-old, very famous gallery in New York, to close. And it uh, revolved around a fraud of about, oh, I don't know, 15 1950s uh, forgeries, painting forgeries from the 1950s, uh, including Rothkow's. And uh, the uh, story, uh, I think, has somewhat of a relationship to NFTs. One is if you were able to tag each painting with an NFT, you could make it easier to ensure that the provence, provenance of the painting is, uh, is real. But the second part of the article, which is more relevant to this show, is that it showed how crazy art collectors were. This was at a period when there was, as it is today, a lot of money floating around a lot of rich people. And people were willing to buy anything, even if they were forgeries. Some people didn't even care because they wanted to put their money to work in something other than uh, other than stocks and bonds. And it's sort of reminiscent of the period that we're in right now. So I thought, you know, again, history gives you a perspective of life. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the first article we have for today is about WeWorks. If you remember, WeWork is the company that uh, leases space in uh, office buildings and then creates small space for shared uh, office work. And 
about a year and a half ago, they tried to go public. And among other things, besides the pandemic, the SEC didn't permit them uh, because they weren't able to provide all the information the SEC uh, required to go public. Well, this week, we work announced that they are going to be part of a SPAC deal. Special Purpose Acquisition Corp. And it's, you know, here's a real example. We talked about SPACs, that is companies that raise money with uh, no business. And then they go out and look for companies to buy. They acquire those companies and do a reverse merger. So the purchased purchase company is able to go public without SEC scrutiny. And, you know, we talked about the possibility of a company going public without having the right uh, information available. Now, here is a great case of a company that wasn't permitted to go public and is now doing this reverse merger with the SPAC in order to go public. And the crazy thing is, is the people that are going to buy into that SPAC on the open market after full well knowing that we work as a company wasn't able to go public on it on their own. It doesn't make any sense. Um, speaking of making no sense, uh, the big story yesterday and today is about the hedge fund no one ever heard of uh, getting uh, itself in real big trouble uh, by doing what's called uh, a directional bet. Uh, these bets uh, called contracts for difference are not legal in America, but banks permitted them, American banks permitted them to do what they do, which is a basically buying a swap or um, an option, if you will, uh, on stocks without having to buy them. They are basically buying a, uh, a an ability to uh, benefit from the either the rise or the fall of a stock um, without having to buy the stock or to sell the stock. Well, in order to facilitate this, they go to a bank and the bank, if you put up 10%, goes ahead and creates this swap so that you can uh, get this leverage bet uh, uh, available to you. Well, um, first of all, uh, the risk was, and that's why in America it's not legal, is that if the company can't come up with the, enough collateral, if the stock bet that they made goes the wrong way, uh, they could be in big trouble. And that's just what happened here. They uh, put on these swaps, $30 billion apparently. They borrowed money through margin from five or six major banks. And the banks were forced because the uh the bets went so poorly, the banks were forced to sell the collateral, which drove some stocks down. CBS, for example, Viacom went down 27% in one day because that was one of the stocks that this company, this hedge fund had made its bet on. And this is sort of reminiscent of long-term capital. Uh, you're too young to remember this, Diane, but in 1998, a bunch of geniuses put together a company called Long-Term Capital, and they made some bets that they thought was pretty smart, and they went out of business. And so the story today, the, yesterday and the day before it broke, the story today is that some banks uh, may be left with um, uh, some real serious losses. And one of the things, you know, it's easy to say, well, it's not legal in America. Why'd they do this? Well, uh, five years ago, the hedge fund uh, owner pleaded guilty uh, to wire fraud. So why would you lend $30 billion to someone who was uh, pleaded guilty to wire fraud is just kind of beyond me. Wow, that's a doozy of an article, Neil. 
And it's, you know, driving the stock market. I mean, the reason they thought the stock market's been so unstable is that there are still repercussions going from all of these banks having to make these reverse margin calls and sell the stocks that they were holding. Well, I think, Um, you know, to to echo what I said uh, last week was, you know, the speculation in this market is very much in speculative assets like SPACs, like companies that don't make any earnings. And so- when you think of the dot-com bubble of the late 90s, um, early 2000s, and when it burst, it was due to those companies that weren't making any money, yet their stock price was running to the moon. And so the good news in this market is there is a lot of capital. There's $1.9 trillion of stimulus hitting the system, and there are companies that are making money. However, you need to be a savvy enough investor to not look at it as going to Vegas and betting, because if you're betting on companies that are SPACs, like WeWorks, which couldn't make it out on its own in a public setting or a public offering, then you're definitely lending yourself or exposing yourself to loss, because that's eventually what will happen to those companies that aren't making any money. Uh, The next article is from the New York Times, and it came out a couple of days ago talking about how the pandemic has caused not only unemployment among some workers, but actual uh, 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 having workers leave the profession that they were in, and they may never go back into the workforce. And the article was highlighting the fact that the unemployment rate does not count these people in the unemployed, even though they are unemployed. And what's interesting about the article is today, a story came out in the New York Times saying that stagehands uh, for rock concerts, among other things, are in short supply because there were no concerts. So a lot of stagehands just dropped out of the business. Uh, So there is some consequences here. Um, And that leads us to the second article that has the same subject, which is pandemic accelerates retirements, threatening economic growth. Nearly one point, the article begins by saying, Nearly 1.5 million over 55-year-olds exited the job market um, as the recession weighed on opportunities. And um, the uh, interesting thing about, and as an older person, I'm very happy to read this, it says the proportion of older workers uh, has uh, caused a uh, decline in the uh, rise of productivity. And the reason for that is apparently older people are more productive in work than younger people. I'm sorry to say that, Diana. Uh, the, I love being on the show with you, Neil, because it just makes me feel so young. <laughs> um, the, um, uh, the, 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 anyway, so the point here is that um, uh, you've got uh, workers leaving the workforce. You've got uh, a, a slowdown in productivity because uh, some of these very skilled workers are uh, uh, not uh, going to be around and they're more productive. And the third and final article I have today uh, sort of all ties into this, and that is uh, entitled The Baby Bust Effects Could Last Decades. And that is there's a drop in global fertility rates that have far reaching consequences for business and economies. And what the article is focused on is how um, there is a universal decline in birth rates. And it's not all attributable, uh, based on this article, to COVID. Uh, there's a whole range of factors. Um, and that um, the uh, 
global decline in birth rates really can't be made up by immigration because it's a zero sum game. If the, if the world is going to have the same type of growth, you need to have an increase in uh, birth rates. And it, it looks like we don't see that. And by the way, some of the companies are beginning to shift their production to reflect this. Kimberly Clark, the article talks about, is beginning to shift some of its manufacturing from diapers uh, to uh, diapers for uh, adults. Um, and um, the Procter & Gamble and Nestle's are also beginning to look at products that are uh, for older people because they don't see the growth in younger people. Uh, well, by I the way, yeah. One thing why the US economy is in a good spot is because the United States of America is still a place where immigration is happening. People want to come to the US and the reality is with birth rates in the U.S. at all time lows, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic, most people thought this was going to be a baby boom. What else are you doing at home? However, it's turned out to be the exact opposite. And without immigration and population expansion of the U.S., we will have economic issues due to, due to a, a declining population. And as we go to the break, before we, we speak to our guests, uh, Connell Cowan, who is an author, uh, is coming out with a new book. And one of the chapters in the new book is about uh, uh, how chemistry pays a part in the decision to immigrate. And that's sort of relevant to this conversation. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. To Money Talk brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we're speaking with Connell Cowan, psychologist, author, artist, and songwriter, and Susan Sullivan, actress and playwright today. So you're in for a real treat. Thank you both for being here with us today. And so, you know, first, Connell, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, you do have a lot of titles after your name. How did how did you manage to be that Renaissance man where you're a little bit of a jack of all trades? Yeah, jack of all trades is probably the apt title. Uh, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I'm just uh, curious, and I uh, my you know curiosity has led me into different things that uh, I've wanted to try, and um, I don't know. From there, I just started you know doing you know. Uh, like you know, writing songs. I, I yeah. let me let me qualify that. I, I'm really the lyricist in in the songwriting. You know, uh, so I've had collaborators uh, that I've collaborated with. Uh, but there's something about storytelling that's compacted and condensed in in, in and as kind of evocative as songs are. That uh, has has always kind of interested me psychologically. So I think that's why I got interested in that. And, and so to the extent that you're a, uh, a practicing psychologist, you hear stories from your clients. So it, it looks like there's a, a lot of interest in stories going both ways. Well, yeah, stories do go both ways. I mean, it, it, it's uh, look over, over a lot of years, I've, uh, I've heard a lot of stories. I mean, I, it's, uh, I, I, I can't imagine many stories that I haven't heard in, 
in a variety of ways. So yeah, I mean, I, th there's a, a wealth of information uh, that you know I, I, I've gotten in in being able to be brought into people's lives in the way you know that that I have as a psychologist. It has really been a, a, a very rich experience for me. And so, and so if I may just interject, Diane, I'm not going to take over here, but I think Kyle's mother was a very creative person. He came from a family environment that allowed him to feel like, oh, hey, that's interesting. I'm going to do a little of that. Oh, no, that's interesting, too. I think, well, I'll do both of them. And, you know, I came from a whole other kind of, you know, poverty mentality, a little a little risk riskless. Um, and I have learned so much watching him jump here, jump there, and and land on both feet in all different areas. That's a, that's a great, um, you know, I think that's a great parallel because, you know, part of it is given that freedom to explore, whereas many people choose a profession and, and don't have the ability to jump to the next because they don't have either the self-confidence or the safety net for it. So that's a great point. Now, Susan, you are, are, are a unicorn, I would say, in your field of acting and play, right? You have been in the business for quite some time. Did you always know you wanted to be an actress? Always. I came from a very dysfunctional family, and very often actors do, by the way. Uh, and one of the ways in which I could contribute to the family dynamic was to diffuse the kind of anger and, and conflict that was going on by being deeply amusing. Very, <laughs> you know, doing, a, I used to do Irish frogs and get all down, like that. And I, I could get him to stop talking. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very effective. Um, so that was, that was kind of the, the impulse. And once you get a few laughs in life, and I think um, Neil can, can uh, collaborate on this. Uh, once you get a few laughs in life, whoa, you're off and running and you just never want to shut up. So uh, that's part of what started it. And, and I always knew exactly what I wanted to do. It was always clear. It's what I've always done. And so when I met Connell, uh, I thought, holy cow, this man's crazy. But you know what? Crazy good. Crazy. Crazy. The good kind of crazy. <laughs> so now, Susan, you know, you've done a little bit of everything within the acting career from movies to stage, commercials, TV. You know, how, what's your secret to staying relevant in such a competitive and oftentimes difficult um, career choice of acting? Well, first of all, Diane, darling, I feel like I know you now. Um, and but, but by the way, that opening segment is terrifying to listen to about money and, and chaos and craziness. Uh, it, it's, it's people, if you're listening, and I hope you're still listening because I would have tuned out. I would have thought, holy, <laughs> what's going on in this world? Okay, but we're back. Uh, anyway, I, I'll give you a, a short answer to, to success. Uh, this is success in life. Talent is easy. Uh, working hard and being disciplined is easy. Timing is tricky. And I came along at a time where the women's movement was just starting to take off. And I rode the crest of the wave of that movement. I played one of the first lady lawyers, doctors. Um, I did a Tylenol commercial for 11 years. Were you an Indian chief too? I was an Indian chief, yes. That was later in life when my hair grew out. 
Um, but uh, it, it was uh, just that you, you threw me off my, <laughs> my dialogue here. Uh, but it was just all of that c coming into place during the coming. See, don't oh, to me. <laughs> That's the timing aspect of it. Anyway, that and I think that that has helped me. Plus, Diana didn't have children, so I was really clear that this is what I wanted to do. And I remember Catherine Hepburn saying, uh, "I, you know, my my work and my career that those are my children." So to some degree, that. That's true. And now I have Connell and I consider him my greatest <laughs> achievement. <laughs> well, and you guys have been together for a long time. So it's, it's lovely to see you both together on the couch, uh, finishing each other's uh, sentences for sure. <laughs> and laughing. <laughs> and still laughing, right? <laughs> That's the key to it. So, so, be, so before we go to the break, I just want to tell our guests that, uh, Connell, you said that you, you've, you've heard every story. During the break, I'm going to tell you some stories that you've never heard. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial guidance. And if you're just joining us, you're in for a real treat. We have Susan Sullivan, actress and playwright, and Connell Cowan, psychologist, author, artist, and songwriter with us. So, you know, I think it's clear that you're both artists at heart. So do you think that it makes it easier for you guys to understand each other and the struggles that you have at work um, because of that point? Of course. Yeah, I think it yeah. does. And, and, it, and it, makes it, it makes it more interesting. Can I ask a question of this whole group, including you, Connell Cowan? Um, I once read that you can tell everything about somebody's personality, psychology, essential personality if you if you look and take a deep probe into their relationship to wait for it money well what's interesting i often say that people's relationship with money gets formed at a very early age and it's very difficult for them to change so if you are somebody that comes at, at money with a mindset of scarcity no matter how much you have you'll still be worried that you don't have enough and if you come from a place with money that it, everything always works out and you're spending and not really thinking about any of the consequences, it's very difficult for you to change into a saving, you know, you staying on track. So I, I do think that there is some, um, there is something to be said for that. And also uh, money is, is a way, is, was invented, you know, 4,000 years ago and as a way of storing wealth or food. It, it was a means of exchange. And that was the way uh, tribes and uh, families were forced to stay together to make sure they had enough food, to make sure they, they had um, enough uh, substance. And so I think the, if you look at money as a store of wealth and the store of wealth you know, results in your, your existence, I think there may be a long history, uh, a biological factor that, that causes people to look at that as part of the, the unity of a family. 
Well, talking about biology, I think there's there's some uh, there there's some biological reasons too that uh, are at play. I mean, the the you know one of the things that is involved in our relationship with money is is whether we're risk tolerant or risk averse. Uh, if if we how how much we can delay gratification, how impulsive we are. So all those dimensions, I think, you know, play into our relationship with money in terms of saving and investing uh, that, uh, you know, have implications, you know, for um, how comfortable you find, you know, you, you feel, you know, uh, making decisions about money, buying homes, selling homes, you know, uh, timing issues and all, you know, all so of that. So you're talking ne neurochemistry. Because well, I'm very, yeah. I'm very risk averse, and yet because I am, in Connell's book, he talks about uh, dopamine and serotonin, and dopamine people are a little more aggressive and out there. And when I buy, uh, I bought real estate. I, I don't know anything. I do it like, oh, I can't do it. That's the only way I can do it. Because if I thought about it, a la risk averse, I would never do it. If somebody said. Oh, wait a minute, it could be this and it could be that and it could be the other thing. So there is that. That's because you're a little impulsive. I'm very impulsive. <laughs> okay. Well, and let's talk about, you know, your your work or your writings, I should say, on immigration and the types, the different types of people that you talk about. And one being the more aggressive type. And those are more of the types that are willing to be take the risk of immigrating to a different um, country or a different, you know, not even country, but a different place in general. Tell us a little bit about that work and what got you interested in writing about it? Well, what got me interested in writing about it was, uh, was the kind of the, the, the neurochemistry of, uh, you know, who stays and, and who goes. You know, so in, in countries, and we're seeing this now in Honduras or Guatemala, you know, uh, Central America, you know, these, these families that are saying goodbye to their really young children who are vulnerable, uh, you know, uh, or, or families trying, you know, making that, that trek uh, up, which is uh, perilous and, and, uh, and long and, uh, you know, pr presents a lot of danger. The people who tend to go, I think, have a different kind of neurochemistry than the people who tend to stay, uh, and and that that kind of immigrating uh, uh, neurochemistry, I think, is valuable for our country uh, because now, they, do you think one or the other, or do you think that one person can have both? kind of conflicting and in different situations have different responses? Or is it usually an all or nothing type of um, no, Because I, I think of neurochemistry and I think, okay, then it's pretty well hardwired, right? But at the same time, there's gotta be some sort of mix or else we'd still be running around super aggressive or like the hunters and, ga the hunters and gatherers, you know? Well, you know, there there is a mix. I mean, if if you, if you look at the the way the nurse uh, the nervous system is, is set up, uh, it, it, you know, we, we we have a part of the nervous system that is is about uh, stimulation and and arousal, and another part 
that's about inhibition and calming it down. That's it. That's the that's the way the autonomic nervous system works. And and so we have these competing kind of chemicals that that support both those both those sides. Susan was mentioning dopamine and serotonin. Uh, serotonin is the kind of braking system, like in a car, and dopamine is the engine system in a car. And using car as kind of a metaphor, and and we all have, you know, we we have both of those, you know, brain chemicals going on in our bodies. Uh, it, it's just that 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 in certain circumstances, uh, one set of chemicals tends to be a little bit more dominant than the other. It's not that we, we don't, so that they, they, they work in a kind of dynamic balance. You know, so, the, 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 if I can just interject this, because I think, <laughs> I think this is interesting, the, the little play that I wrote, which I would never have written except for the pandemic, but what it was was two sides of my personality, um, which is the dopamine and the serotonin, if you will, but the one part of me was going, I love this pandemic. I don't have to do anything. I can stay home. I can read books. I can just order in. It's working for me. The other side was going, oh, my God, you're going to stay home. You're going to just read books. Well, who, who are you going to be? You're not going to be anybody. you got to get out. you got to live your life. you got to do something. So I made them two different characters talking to each other as friends, trying to keep some balance in their lives during this pandemic. And really, isn't that kind of, am I deluding myself, darling? Or isn't that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, no, it is. I'm I'm big on delusions because, and I approve of the Well, it has been a year in in, um, in (laughs) quarantine. (laughs) Yeah, I I was affected by the quarantine because it didn't affect my life at all. Yeah. I just like to stay home and, you know, play with my dogs. But that's another story. So Connell, you're saying, you know, the, the different, the, the types of personalities that would immigrate are, could do good things for our country. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I think we were talking about, you know, risk aversion, you know, the, the people who tend to make the choice to uh, uh, go somewhere else are betting that that somewhere else is going to be a benefit to them. The people who stay are the ones who say, I think I'm safer staying. Uh, I think there's something about that, that kind of risk tolerant person, the mentality that, 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 that uh, immigrates uh, is, is good uh, energy you know, for the country that receives those immigrants. Uh, you know, and I know that there's a lot of antipathy you know, toward immigration right now and, and, and a great fear of it. And I, I think it's really unwarranted because I think, I think immigrants make a, a, an enormously valuable contribution to this country. We have. Now, the, 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 there's an um, interesting statistic that pops up every once in a while that 90% of the people in America die within 50 miles of where they were born. Uh, so there is sort of a stickiness when it comes to familiarity and family that causes, I think, Americans not to move. And the other issue that I think is relevant in this conversation is who chose to leave Nazi Germany before the war? And it turned out that there was a real difference. You know, people think that the reason my generation of Jews uh, are so neurotic and fearful is that we have that in our genes. So we, we, we got out of Dodge early, whereas the people that were confident and uh, comfortable and not fearful 
uh, left, uh, didn't leave and, you know, ended up. So there's all kinds of stories here that um, this thing, this whole subject leads us to. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290, AZSB, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Susan, over the course of your extremely successful career, I know personally I've enjoyed watching you in, in several of your series that you have been on. What would you say was your favorite role and why? Uh, I, I don't really have a favorite role, but uh, I liked Kitty Montgomery because that got me into, and that was Darman and Greg, and that got me into comedy. And that allowed, you know, as I've said before, it's timing and so on. You, you need to have a very diversified um, portfolio of roles that you can do if you're to have a long career, because you have to now be, God help us, grandmothers. And uh, and now great grandmothers. It's just it's just overwhelming to me is the, the aging dynamic in the business because you get very quickly uh, as a woman marginalized because there's just not that many parts around. Did, now, um, did did you know when we introduced you? We forgot to say singer. I remember you were in a feature movie, and you actually sang, not dubbed like uh, with by Marnie Dixon. Audrey Hepburn had it be dubbed, but not you, uh, singing uh, seeing an Aretha Franklin score. Yeah, but I, I didn't have to be any good, so they didn't have to dub me. <laughs> yeah, I could be I could be crappy, and believe me, I was. So uh, that's a hard song to sing, anyway. So but how I, do you think the uh, the Me Too movement has affected Hollywood, and have you seen any changes for the good or the bad because of it? Yeah, no, I think it has affected it, and, and I think and I think it's good. I think everything gets a little out of balance. I think life is about trying to find some balance uh, anyway. And, uh, you know, the pendulum swings and it's a little too far this way and then it, it swings back. And you just hope you're not standing in the middle and getting hit by the bomb. Um, so basically, yes, I think women, uh, I believe they need to stand and raise their hand. And when I started in my you know, coming to, to California in the in the 70s, it was the woman's movement that was sustaining the kind of roles that I was getting. So I was rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. But, uh, you know, it, it sort of, then it sort of flags off because the guys are the ones holding the reins for the most part. And now the women are, yeah, taking, taking hold of those reins. So hopefully there'll be more, and there is, there is many more roles for women and many more people for uh, roles for people of uh, different backgrounds and diversity. And it's, it's all good. Change is inevitable and you hope it's going in the right direction. But when you guys were talking about the stock market and stuff, it sounded like a bunch of con people. And, and of course, in the art market, you're right, Neil, because we saw that documentary as well. Cons have been going on forever. I, I guess kind of resi- I, I don't like the uh, reference to cons because because of your my- name. <laughs> yeah, I, I worried when yeah. I met you, darling. Yeah, I said, cons. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Con men are uh, are, are notoriously um, high achievers. Well, you know what it is. It, it and they talked about this in that TV show about the uh, art theft. 
and they had an expert on conning to give perspective. And in order to, to, to be con, you have to be, you know, a little bit naive and people believe what they want to believe and they don't remember history. Um, if you look at today's disaster with that hedge fund, uh, that is exactly what happens to uh, so many in, uh, banks uh, and investment banks that I went under in 2008. It was uh, selling uh, derivative over leveraged swaps. And even the most sophisticated investment bankers, here we are 12, 14 years later, at risk doing exactly the same thing. And the names are, you know, Credit Suisse and uh, Nomura. These are not uh, naive people. These are people that were around back in 2008. And here we go again. I think the real is the ego and the inability for, you know, and it does skew more towards men than women, the inability to admit that you don't understand something or that you don't know what's going on. And I really truly believe that was the fall of 2008 is when no one was willing to ask the questions because everybody thought they should already know the answer. And consequently you had major financial institutions go under because some guy at the top didn't want to admit he had no idea what the junior trader was talking about. And that I think is the real problem of it and kind of the psychology of it. And so, Connell, speaking of that, the psychology of just how people view that risk aversion and investing versus gambling, what, what do you see the differences in people who are investors versus people who are you know, going to Vegas and hoping to make that triple home run with a hedge fund like we talked about in the beginning? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I think the people who are prudent investors um, have more uh, risk aversion uh, just naturally in their system. I, I, I just think that they, they take fewer chances in their lives and in, investing is one of those chances. So they're more likely to, uh, it's not that they won't make mistakes but they'll make mistakes on uh, false negative side. So they'll end up now, you know, putting their money in a, a money market account, you know, you know, for uh, next to nothing in terms of, of interest for fear of losing it. Whereas, uh, you know, the gamblers are on the uh, other side, you know, which is, is um, being, uh, you know, really risk tolerant and uh, going for the home runs and, and uh, feeling like uh, they can take those chances and, and assume the losses. So sometimes, sometimes, sometimes uh, these decisions don't involve money. Uh, uh, you wrote a best-selling book called Smart Women Foolish Choices. Uh, to, and I got to say, I'm not a big fan of the title. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> darling. And the reason I'm with him is because I read that book and I went, I, I, I lived it and I, I want to meet the man who wrote it. <laughs> so he wasn't a foolish choice. Well, that's good to know. He was, he was the first good choice, Diane, that I ever made with a man. So there you go. And it's probably because I read your book, darling. <laughs> so, so, so what's the secret? Uh, what's the secret? Oh, God. What is the it? secret is this. 
for years, when I was dating, this would be the question I would ask men. In fact, I asked Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, which was a big mistake. How do you feel about your mother? If you can find out if a man is really willing to tell you, and if indeed if he knows, how he feels about his mother. If he started out with that nurturing, good relationship, he's going to be a nurturing, good man with you. And yippee he is. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 <laughs> KZSB, and we'll be right back with what Johnny Carson said about his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So before the break, we were talking about your book, Connell, Smart Woman, Foolish Choices. Give us a little a, a little taste of what that book is, because we were we were joking about it, but it is a bestseller book, and, and we I'd love to know more about it. Well, <clears throat> this, this was written kind of uh, it, it, back in the day of- Mid 80s, 85. Yeah, 85, yeah. So it was like the, the height of the women's movement. And I was seeing a, a, a lot of women and, who were really successful people. I mean, they, they, they were successfully financially, uh, they were well-educated, uh, they had great networks of friends. But when it came to their relationships with men, they were not, they were just not as successful. And the book really just took on some of the issues that uh, were involved in uh, being able to translate being successful in life into being successful, you know, in in relationships. So, Susan, you um, uh, not only have been successful, but you've you never left behind your roots and you've done a lot of philanthropic work, including for your alma mater, uh, Hofstra University. So tell us about that. Well, please. Uh, it's just guilt. Uh, I, <laughs> it, I think, thank God for guilt. I, I, I it's a rather important quality. Uh, they gave me a full scholarship. And so I feel as if I have to return in, in kind and, and really that that's what I do. Um, it, it bothers me though, because I don't, I don't know that I should, well, I give the money because supporting actors, but actors, actors are such driven creatures. I don't think they, they need, uh, I'd rather support teachers. So thank you for asking me that, Neil. I'm going to rethink the way I'm, I'm giving my money away. Okay, thank you. Welcome. Susan, it's interesting because <laughs> you and Neil are from the same region, but yet you sound like you're from different planets. <laughs> How did you lose your accent? What accent? From Long Island? You mean I lost it? <laughs> it's only taken Neil about three years to be able to say my name most of the time. Right. For the name. <laughs> where, are you, where are you from, Diane? I'm from Massachusetts originally. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, Boston. Okay. Yep. Coffee, but you know, everyone sounds like they're from California here now. I mean, it's it, it's interesting. I always think of Cal people from California as not having an accent. Agreed. That's because you don't have an accent, but but uh, people so, from New York. So so, so Susan, how did you feel when you were cast uh, in a leading role in a 
award-winning show, Kaminsky Method, and uh, they said the good news is that you're going to uh, be one of the leading ladies, and the bad news is you die in the first episode. I was delighted. <laughs> <laughs> a death becomes me. Um, uh, it, you know, it was Chuck Lorre who had done Dharma and Greg, so it was like a a very well-funded, founded with Michael Douglas, please, Alan Arkin. Who doesn't want to be married to Alan Arkin and die in his arms? Life is good. So, Susan, you're working on a new play. So can you tell us about it? I did tell you about it. It's kind of the two sides of my own oh. personality. It's about this time. It's about being an expendable. It's about how you connect to your friends, how you support each other and how you understand and misunderstand each other. It's called Life or What Friends Do. Great title. And Connell, what is the name of the title of your new book that's coming out? Oh, it's, uh, the new book is called Override. And that's so, what it is. It's about being able to override the way you're set up in life. Well, and thank you. Th thank you guys so much for being actually one of our best guests ever. Really? Uh, we, can, we have more to say. Well, yeah. we have to ha we'll have you back, whatever you like. Uh, uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Yeah.